For the rest of us who are here, take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. The book of Proverbs. Uh, Up to this point, we were having a a good time in the Psalms, summer in the Psalms. Now we're going to turn August to the Proverbs, so we're going to do Pummer in the Proverbs. Or somewhere in the Proverbs, I don't, I, you can't make it. So we just trashed that. And uh, we're going to be talking about the wisdom of Christ for the next few weeks. So today I get the privilege of kind of introducing Proverbs. And before we jump into the actual passage, which is going to be the first seven verses, we need to actually spend some time talking about the book of Proverbs. And there's a reason why we need to spend some good time getting our hearts right before we dive into a book. It's because this book, I believe, has gotten so wrong by us. I think we read the Proverbs wrong. And you're going to see on the screen, we get the Proverbs wrong when we're talking about wisdom. We go to this book in, in many, many wrong ways. And so I want to, I want to give you a, a few ways that we get the book of Proverbs wrong. First thing is this. We tend to read it like law. We, we, we go to the book of Proverbs and we read it like we're reading the Ten Commandments. This is an indicative, absolutely true, a guaranteed promise. This is exactly how we tend to read it. Hey, this is, you do this, you get this. You do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. And so we read the Proverbs like that when we should be reading it as wisdom. Or more akin to poetry. There's more nuance. There's uh, more art There's more beauty in the book of Proverbs. It's thrust in there with the poetic books and it should be causing us to think, not running to try to grab a list of things that we can do in order to become a better person. Because after all, that is not how we become better people is running to the scripture and grabbing the little commands and trying to, in our flesh, apply them to our life and become a wise person. That is not how it works. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We can do nothing. We do not seek after God. The best we can offer God, according to Isaiah, is filthy rags. So we tend to read it like law. That's how we get it wrong. We also tend to do this. We tend to consume it like an energy drink. Now, some of you are like, I don't even touch energy drinks. But you can understand, you can understand the, uh, the picture here. I want that quick boost of energy, something outside that I'm going to put inside my body that's somehow going to make the difference when it's really just a masking, it's not really helping you. Uh, caffeine is simply just making you believe that you have more energy, not actually giving you energy. And so we'll go to the book of Proverbs, turn to some random verse, and we'll just chuck it into our hearts or chuck it on someone else and think that somehow that's going to be that, 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 you know, that boost of energy. It's going to give me wings, right? You get that? Okay, come on then. We tend to wield it, here's another way, as a police baton. It's kind of like how we go to the, the law and we pick it out and we use it and we hold it up against someone else and we say, look, this person's a fool based off what I read in scripture, which is interesting because Jesus said when we call someone a fool, we're in danger of hellfire. Be very careful of that. We tend to use it against others. And then finally this, we isolate it from the rest of the Bible. It's like all of the Bible is in this beautiful narrative. Uh, and we go to the book of Proverbs like some 
ancient proverbial uh, person on this mountaintop who wrote these wise sayings that just have to be, somehow they're just disconnected from the rest of scripture. It's like, okay, the you know, Song of Solomon and the book of Proverbs just can't, you know, uh, can't really figure out why they fit in the Bible, but they're there. And Proverbs just must be there to help make us wise people when we go there when we need that. You know, we need that business plan that we can apply to be a better business dealer. And so let's write the self-help books using the book of Proverbs to get it, right? Those type of ways. And we isolate it from the rest of the scripture, from the narrative of scripture. So let me, let me, let's play a little activity here. On the screen, I'm gonna ask you this question. And I want this to kind of show how if we misapply the book of Proverbs, if we use it as a moralistic uh, rigor, if we use it as a, as a mode like law to simply go to and apply to try to make ourselves better or make our kids better, show you how it can uh, be detrimental. So I'm gonna give you a choice of son A or son B. You tell me which son, if you had your choice, you would choose, okay? Son A, let's, let's, let's talk about son A. This, this son prays often, they're clean, their whole life's clean, very successful, they keep God's law, they get a good job, good money, believe in God, and they're extremely moral. You know, so, or would you rather have son B? A drunkard, uh, their whole life is just dirty, could be described as filthy. They have no job, they're rebellious. They waste their money. Uh, they spend a lot of it on prostitutes. They run from God and their life could be characterized as immoral. Which son would you choose? <laughs> a, right? Let me, let me show you who I just described, all right? Son A is who? A Pharisee. They prayed often, they were clean, they were successful, they kept God's law, they had good a good job according uh, to the standard. They had good money. They believed in God and they had a moral life. But the prodigal son was all these things, right? Now, which one would you choose? (sighs) You see the dilemma that Jasper has put you in? This is what the Proverbs does. It forces you into a situation where you have to think and think deeper about simple answers. When it's like, well, the Proverbs are simple answers. Oh, oh, okay. So let me ask you this question. What's the difference between these two? So if I were to ask you, okay, not choose the type of life that's described because the type of life described in son A, of course you'd want that for your kids. I'm never gonna want my child to be thrust into a world of darkness where they, they give themselves over to immorality and suffer in that way. But if you were asking me, which, one, which outcome would you rather have? You choose the prodigal son all day long because the prodigal son ran back into the arms of their father. So, so what's the difference here between these two people that actually matters? Let me show you the Pharisee. The issue is here's, as Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus described them as white-washed tombs, and they ultimately rejected Christ. White-washed tombs, tombs that are painted, but inside, dead. You see, this was actually what mattered, according to the Pharisees, and they had all the outside clean. They could have, they could have been living their life, according to the Proverbs, in a moralistic way, but inside they were dead. The difference with the prodigal son is this, came to a census. He reached a point in his life where actually life made sense. It's not about him. 
And it's not about money and pleasures and just eat, drink, and be merry. It's about a relationship with their father. It's about wisdom. And they came, there was a moment they came to their senses. They woke up. This is, this is, this is what matters. Ran to the arms of his father in repentance to receive grace, mercy, and receive Christ. I'll tell you what, that's what I want for my children. Because there's not a single one of us that's not prodigal until we come to our senses. So the danger of the book of Proverbs is opening it up, thrusting upon ourselves or on our children in a way that would simply wash the outside. All of the energy and the effort goes into teaching ourselves and our children that what is most important in life is to be a moralistic person, to be moral. And then that becomes the aim of life. I'm sorry, when I read 2 Corinthians 5, do you know what I hear about the aim of life? Paul said, whether I'm at home or away, I make it my aim to please him. That's, that's different than being moralistic. That's, that's someone who is, who is at the core of their being, understands who God is, and they love God, and their affections are on God, and they want to live their life for him. That's totally different than live in such a way to where it's right or wrong. Doesn't the gospel teach us that that's legalism? So let's not get the book of Proverbs wrong. Let's get it right. So getting it right would maybe, let's, let's redeem these, these ways we get it wrong. Instead of reading it like law, we should start reading the book of Proverbs like the gospel. We actually have to do this. And I want to read Colossians chapter two, what, what we're told about Jesus. It says this, Paul writes this to the Colossians and he says, that their hearts, referring to the Laodiceans, may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach, to reach and grab a hold of, to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then he says this, in whom, comma, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ shows up on the scene and is the personification of the wisdom of God. So if I were to then say, do you, how do you want to get wisdom? Do you want to just go to the book of Proverbs and apply morals? Or according to what Paul says about Christ is that in him is hidden all the mysterious treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And we're going to see at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs is he writes to be able to receive wisdom, knowledge, discipline. So if we're going to read the Bible holistically, where am I going to find wisdom? Or in whom will I find wisdom? In Jesus. He is the personification of wisdom. How about this? So instead of reading it like law, we read it as the gospel, meaning this. We're reading a story where Jesus is at the center. You come to the book of Proverbs and as you're reading it, you're remembering that Jesus is at the center of the book. Who in the world here is a perfect father? Who in the world here is a perfect son? So who is the wise, who is the wise father that's teaching and who is the wise son that's receiving? It'd be better for us to read Proverbs thinking about Jesus being the wise son we're reading about. Looking into a mirror, which we're gonna see here in just a second. 
Read it where Jesus is at the center because he is at the center. Okay, so then instead of consuming it like an energy drink then, we should be consuming it as we do water. Water being something we constantly need. Water that may, maybe it's not as explosive in its flavor, but it keeps us alive and we understand that water is extremely necessary. And I, I have here a reference to John four fourteen, where Jesus is at the well with the, with the woman. He uses this analogy of water that whoever drinks of me, it will end up becoming a, a bubbling spring inside of, inside of him that will burst forward into eternal life. But that doesn't come from just drinking physical water. It's this spiritual water. And he uses the physical example to help us understand. Just like we need water that keeps us alive. It literally keeps us hydrated and living. We need Jesus in us in order to receive life. All right, so then don't drink it like an energy drink. Consume it like water where you, you, you need God inside of you. And when you're reading Proverbs, you're reading his words that must be in you. Okay? So instead of this, instead of also wielding it like a police baton where we beat others up with it, then maybe we should start reading it like this, like a mirror. James actually, if you read the book of James in the New Testament, you can tell, you could tell he had Proverbs on his mind as he wrote the New Testament book. He even culminates some of his points in chapter three to say, uh, wisdom that comes down from above is these things. And then he refers to the gospel or he refers to the word of God as a mirror, the law of liberty that you have to look intently in to see who you really are. Proverbs is more of that, a place you go to and you you look at the perfect example of Jesus and you compare yourself. Should any of us read the book of Proverbs and walk away and say, yeah, I'm wise? Do you think that's the goal? I wanna confirm that I am wise in the book of Proverbs. Maybe, maybe not. I think when we read the book of Proverbs, we should come away thinking about who is ultimately wise and how much we need him. Because when you read the book of Proverbs, you're gonna realize how much you fall short of wisdom. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you're like, I got all of this figured out. Then the book of Proverbs even says you're wise in your own eyes, which means you're a fool. Interesting. Instead of this, Instead of isolating it from the Bible, let's start reading it with the whole narrative and the whole scripture in mind. Sound good? All right, so so let let me put a quote up on the screen. The quote is this. This could be the simple experience of the person who reads the book of Proverbs. You come away and on the surface, this is rightly so what you kind of should be feeling. You read that and you say, I don't want to be a fool I want to be wise. Or I'd like more specifically, make it a term of identity. I don't want to be the fool. I want to be the wise. What would then be the natural question to ask after that quote? Oh, I heard someone say it. It starts with an H and it rhymes with ow. How? How? All right, well, let me... Let's get our minds to see what God is doing kind of in all of scripture where God through multiple different angles is presenting two different identities. You see it all in scripture, Proverbs being no different where it's presenting another angle of Jesus and another angle of our need. But just from the the fool and the wise position, let me show you some of the other ones. So, So look at this. What if it said this? I don't want to be a bad tree. I want to be a good tree. 
How about this next one? Uh, I don't want to die, I want to live. So I, if I were to ask you, according to scripture, how do you become a good tree if you're a bad tree? And if I were to ask you, how do you live if you're on the path? How do you become living if you're dead? Or how do you avoid death and receive life? What would be your answer? How about this? I don't want to be lost, I want to be found. So if I were to ask you, how does someone who's lost become found? What would be your answer? All right, and then what about this? I don't want to perish, I want to be saved. Do you know what's interesting about all those different uh, problems? The answer is all the same. So when it comes to that first one I presented, I don't want to be a fool, I want to be the wise what do you think the answer is? Jesus. But even more specific, what is it about Jesus that makes you a wise person? So then now I want you to think in the realm of the danger of using the book of Proverbs like law. You don't go to the book of Proverbs to become the wise person. You and I are already the fools who need to first be turned into the wise person. And that's a work of God. Tracking with me? Okay. Let me find my spot, and then here's what we're going to do. I want us to talk about the beginning of wisdom then. I feel like we've set our hearts, we got our hearts ready to receive the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. Hopefully, you'll come away from here today and you'll never read the book of Proverbs the same. So, today, here's what I want us to talk about in our last few minutes together it's this. What does the beginning of wisdom require? According to the first seven verses, the book of Proverbs written partly or mostly by Solomon. Others contributed, a guy named Augur and a guy named Lemuel, and then some other people we actually don't know, just a wise person who wrote, but primarily attributed to Solomon, who was the son of David, a king, who was actually granted wisdom. And he's going in the first seven verses Show us the beginning of wisdom. So let's look at a few things. The beginning of wisdom requires first this, a wise teacher. You need a wise teacher. Look what it says there in verse one of Proverbs. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, something should happen when you read this introduction. Something that happens as I think about wisdom and I think about the most wise person besides Jesus in scripture, your mind should go to Solomon. But then something, there should be a, uh, there should be a strange um, disconnect that happens inside of our hearts when we think of, wait, Solomon, the wisest person, but also the one who was ultimately responsible for the uh, division of the nation of Israel that ultimately led all of Israel into captivity. The kingdom divided and then the kingdom sold into slavery, traced back to Solomon's foolishness. Very interesting, right? So now if you know the story of Solomon in a dream, God gives him the chance to ask for anything he would want. What does he ask for? He asks for wisdom. Give me the wisdom to be able to rule with justice and equity, to have discernment. And if you read, God is very, very pleased that he asked for that. And he didn't ask for what? Money. Something, something, 
something already shows that the heart of Solomon was wise even in his request. So it's interesting, he wanted wisdom, but his answer proved that he was already wise. But then God gave him warning after warning constantly, but you must stay the path essentially. Do not, do not give yourself over to the wise, to, to the high places, and, and, and definitely don't let your heart be turned away from foreign women, which is ultimately what happened. Which is interesting because if you read the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, Solomon as a wise father is writing to his son trying to prepare a son for life and wisdom and what to look out for. The first thing he tells him to look out for is the enticement of sinners, basically a gang. Don't join the gang of immoral people. And then he goes to chapters five, six, and seven to introduce this woman, Lady Folly or Lady Foolishness, who he compares to a seductress, a prostitute who lures young men away and ultimately destroys them through their um, inability to control their urges. But this isn't just, the Proverbs isn't just about, okay, this applies to to a young man. It's, no, this is the poetic, creative beauty of God to compare foolishness and folly. And he uses imageries. It, It pertains to all of us. I you know what? I think when we talk about the wise teacher, we shouldn't be thinking our wise teacher here is Solomon. Because God didn't hold back what happened to Solomon. Solomon uh, landed into his own foolishness that he warned about. Gave his heart over to foreign women and followed the path of destruction as a result of it. So he became a hypocrite. Look at the next two titles, though, of Solomon. What are the next two titles? Solomon, I don't think that's the title that matters. I think the next two are what you should focus on. Solomon. Son of David, King of Israel. Who is the son of David? Who is the son of David? Jesus Christ. Who is the king of Israel? Jesus Christ. We are reading about Jesus here. So let me bring the application in. Who, who, who in your mind is wise? Who do you look up to that, that, that you revere, that you go to for wisdom, that you want to learn from, that will already show you what path you're on? Now look at this second thing. The beginning of wisdom also, also has to require a desire for wisdom. He says here in verse two and three, he says, to know wisdom and instruction, writing this book for the purpose of knowing wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, verse three, to receive instruction and in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. The same things that Solomon asked for, three words that are repeated that we need to know. It's the words wisdom, it's the word knowledge, and it's the word instruction, or as I like to say, discipline. Knowledge being this, information that you do not know that needs to be dug up and found out. So facts, truths, information, not good enough though. Wisdom you need. Wisdom's an interesting word because it's the word that has to do with skill or ability. Wisdom it being the, the, you know what to do with the information you have. You know how to apply it to life. That's wisdom. And then discipline or instruction is this idea of being able to receive correction and rebuke and reproof. So Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, writing this book to, for the purpose of 
knowing wisdom and instruction. If you do not care about having these things, if you don't care about having wisdom, if you don't care about being a wise person, then you're not going to follow the path of wisdom. You're not going to be in the beginning of it that he's culminating in in verse seven here. The beginning of wisdom requires a desire for wisdom. Now, you say, like, I don't see that word beginning of wisdom anywhere in verses two and three. Turn over to chapter four with me really quick. Chapter four, just a few more pages. The only times in these first nine chapters where he talks about the beginning of wisdom, it's in verse seven of chapter one. And then verse seven of chapter four, look what he says here. The beginning of wisdom is this. And I love it. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. How about that? Wait, wait, you mean the beginning of wisdom is to get it? Like, like reach it, like, what's he trying to communicate? This is why the Proverbs are written this way, because it makes you think, you're supposed to be thinking about it. You gotta want it. You gotta pursue it. It has to be, verse seven of chapter four has to be true in your heart. Like, man, I have to have wisdom. I want it, I need it, I must get it. I must, there must be urgency to get wisdom and treasure her highly. And you're gonna see that repeated all through the first 10 chapters, which is all about preparing your heart to even be able to receive Proverbs, a right relationship with God. But it's gonna involve a genuine desire for wisdom. If you don't want it, you're not gonna get it. James repeats this in the New Testament. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without approach, without reproach, which is interesting. Was, was Solomon then granted wisdom like a genie gives a first wish, like somehow he was zapped with it? Do you think so? Because the same way we get wisdom is the same way Solomon got it. He asked for it and God gave it graciously. And so we we look at Solomon like some superhero. How about he had the right heart, the disposition where wisdom was actually valuable to him and he asked God for it and he found himself uh, uh, in relationship with a God who actually gives wisdom generously without reproach to all, James says. The beginning of your wisdom requires a wise teacher. Is Jesus the ultimate teacher in your life? Is wisdom a genuine desire for you and it will be if it's valuable to you. If it's not, I ask you then what is valuable to you? What could you spend your one wish on? If it's money, if it's money, you're missing it. And God was pleased when he didn't ask for riches and he asked for wisdom. Now it starts to get a little bit more interesting This is where we have to dig and understand what he means by this as we start to get into verse four. The beginning of wisdom also requires this, an empty mind or heart. Okay, okay, look at verse four. He says, to give prudence to the simple or caution to the simple, and we're gonna talk about what that word means, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So, If you read just on the surface, you think, oh, this isn't for me. I'm an adult. If you're an adult, if you read this and you're a a youth, you're like, oh, this is for me because I'm a youth. So parents can check out or use this to beat their kids over the head with it. Or we can think about what is actually being said here. 
Who is receiving it? What, what is also required of the people who receive it? It's not about giving it to certain people of certain ages. It's about giving it to people who have the right disposition in their mind and heart. So to give prudence to the simple, simply this, that word simple, open. So it's this idea of there's actually room in their mind to put stuff in. Children are used as the example. Youth are used as the example is because their minds are still impressionable, influential. And the older you get, the more your mind gets filled with stuff and the harder it is for God to invade and break and move the stuff that's already been hammered down into the, to the wooden home of your heart. So in order to receive wisdom, there has to be room in your heart and mind for it that you're missing. Otherwise, you'll reject it every time it tries to come in and take residency in your heart. So the beginning of wisdom requires an empty mind and heart. I don't mean a empty as in you need to be stupid. I mean there needs to be room, a simpleness of mind where you still can, can learn something. So I could put it this way. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? The beginning of wisdom requires this next one, and I think this is the most interesting one of all. The beginning of wisdom requires this, a wise person. And you'll notice there, I even put three question marks next to it. Like, what? Look here at verse six. He says, let the wise, I mean, starting in verse five, forgive me, verse five and six. He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Let's work it backwards, starting with riddles. This, this, this brings us to what the word proverb means. A proverb is a quick saying that has within it something that needs to be understand that's not immediately clear. So it's, it's supposed to be quick, but force you to chew on it, meditate on it. Let me give you some examples. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Immediately it says, don't answer a fool according to the folly, lest you be like him. So which is it? How do you apply that verse? That verse doesn't do anything with helping you to know what to do in the moment when someone is foolishly talking before you or presenting something and you're trying to figure out, do I or do I not? But as you think about that, what does that lead your heart to conclude then that you need, that you're lacking? Wisdom. And what will you do? Ask for it. (laughs) Seek the Lord for help. How about this one? Here's a popular one that really uh, we as parents struggle with. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's older, he'll not depart from it. Anyone ever been confused by that one? Well, it's like I trained them, I gave them everything, and they have departed from it. So is the Bible contradictory? Well, this comes into you reading the book of Proverbs like law and not like wisdom. The book of Proverbs are not guaranteed promises. They're general wisdom. The book of Proverbs is trying to show you a picture of wisdom and show you how wisdom would act in the circumstance. So if you want to make any type of a contribution into turning your kid's path away from the crooked path, then you must invest in them in the way that they should go. That's what wisdom would do. But it is not a guarantee that if you do that, then this. If this, then this. There are all these strange guarantees. There's like, well, well, if I this, then I'll have long life. Well, that person did that and they died early. Is the Bible a contradictory? No, it's because you're reading it like law. 
it's this, this person is drawing from the well of wisdom when they act like this. And in general, this would increase their life in a pragmatic sense. But we have to be careful. We are looking into a mirror and we're looking into the gospel and we're not grabbing on to guaranteed promises. We're trying to learn from lady wisdom and, and, and trying to say, you know, I'm operating from wisdom. The disposition of my heart is to pull from wisdom and I, I'm not doing that in this moment. Doesn't necessarily guarantee the conclusions, but it shows you the path and the traje- tra- trajectory that the Proverbs are trying to get to. These riddles, verse six, these words of the wise, to understand a proverb and a saying, it requires a wise person. Why is that confusing? Because wouldn't you think the book of Proverbs is for the fool? Isn't the book of, isn't the point of the book of Proverbs is that if you're a fool, you go to the book of Proverbs and you read it and you become the wise. Well, let me show you some Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 23, nine right here. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the good sense of your words. So according to that proverb, if that fool read the good sense of the words of Proverbs, they would just simply despise it, right? Let's, let's look at another verse. Verse 26, uh, chapter 26, six and eight says this, like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. It goes two ways and it's uselessness, which means it's useless to change them and it's useless when they use it to try to change others because of who they are. The issue is not that they need to, be, they need to do wise things. The issue is, is they have the identity of a fool and they need to be transformed into the wise person that only God can do. Even the Proverbs admit that the Proverbs are useless for those who would be categorized as the fool. You go to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, you find out that the uh, words of Christ are foolishness to the world and that the only way you can discern the words of Christ is through a spiritual discernment which is given by the Spirit of God. Paul says that no one understands the mind of God except the Spirit of God. Ergo, and then he repeats, no one understands the mind of a person except the Spirit. So you want to understand the mind of God, you got to have the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to talk about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of Christ and how it's foolishness in their eyes. You see why you can't go to the book of Proverbs and just try to change your moral output through these words? Because these words belong to God and God is teaching us that wisdom comes from him through a transformed heart first. So let me show you some other things in the New Testament. Let me show you about how Jesus spoke when he spoke in parables. That was the same purpose. Look at this in Matthew 7. Jesus said this, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He's talking about identity and what's indicative. You are a bad tree. Is the goal bear good fruit? Is that the command? I'm a bad tree, bear good fruit. Jesus is saying that can't happen. If you're a bad tree, you have to become a good tree. How does that happen? The work of God alone, the grace and the mercy and the supernatural power of the spirit to quicken your spirit from dead to living. Let me show you another verse in Matthew. Jesus said this, to the one who has more, for the one who has, comma, more will be given. Interesting. And he will have an abundance. 
but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now I want you to turn there with me and I want to see the full conversation of what Jesus is saying here. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. Matthew chapter 10, verses 10 through 16. Here we go. I had it wrong, 13, 10 through, I, that's what, forgive me guys. 13, Matthew 13, starting at verse 10. I looked down at verse 13 of chapter 10 and said, this is not right. Okay, Jesus is talking about the purpose of parables, which are what? Kind of like riddles, Proverbs, right? The disciples always struggled to understand them. Jesus then said, the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he, Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. So now think about Proverbs. It requires first a wise person. In the context of God's kingdom, those who are his are given his wisdom. So you have to first be a wise person to benefit from the book of Proverbs, essentially. For the one who has more will be given and and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And we could apply all the things that we've said already. They, They probably don't have the right teachers in their life. They probably actually don't desire to know wisdom. Their mind is not empty. It's already full of everything that they already believe. They're just always trying to catch Jesus in a net of their own supposed wisdom. And then Isaiah even said, this was a prophecy. You will indeed hear, but not understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So Jesus would say all the time, let those who have ears to hear, understand. Similar when you come to the book of Proverbs, let those who are the wise, who are the living, who are the good trees, who have been given a wise heart supernaturally by God. And he says here in verse, now Proverbs one, let the wise hear and increase what? in their learning, right? So it's the fact that they already have this disposition. They're already wise. Now they're gonna get to increase. Let the one who understands they get to obtain the guidance. They're the ones who get to understand the proverb and the saying and the words and the rise of the result. So now here we go. Final thing, final point, the culmination of everything that he's talking about is leading to verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And with that, he propels us into um, a book filled with the fear of God being repeated throughout it. Through that, he, he begins us on this journey through what wisdom looks like. And those who fear the Lord, fear the master and the king are the ones who are on the path to wisdom. 
So think about it like this. Two roads, if I were to hold up two roads, here's the road of a fool and someone's on the foolish road for, for 50 years. And then here's, here's 50 years of the wise road. Did they just jump over to the road? No, they have to go back to the very beginning if they're ever gonna get on the path to wisdom. They gotta go all the way and go through the singular door that will lead to wisdom and knowledge. And that is the fear of the Lord. If they do not fear God, their life will be the path of a fool, but they will think they're wise in their own eyes. Let's talk about the fear of God. It involves several things. It involves a a respect and a reverence that first comes through the terror of God because of who he is. God is an all-consuming, all-powerful God who holds everything in his hands. And just like we would naturally fear the mother bear with her cub, that right type of fear causes us to respond in an appropriate way. And we would say someone's foolish who ignores the fear, goes up and starts to smack the cub of the mother and then gets mauled to death. The conclusion is that was a foolish thing to do. Yet when it comes to God who created the bear, who is far more terrifying and far more powerful People all the time walking earth, they go up to Jesus hanging on the cross and they smack him as hard as they can in the face and they pull his beard out and they spit on him and they reject him and they act like they don't need him and they act like he's the foolishness and they say he's cursed. Where's the fear for how you're treating the universals, the, 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 the universe's creator and his son? That's why a person who would fear God would treat his son properly. Oh, this is God's son. I, I obey him. I lay my life down for him. I'm not gonna speak against him. And those who do show that they do not fear God. Therefore, they're not on the path of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Do you fear God above all else? But then it's also this type of fear It's this type of fear where you know you're wrong. Maybe, and I'm gonna give you a, taking the father and the son, maybe you're responsible for the death of someone's child. I mean, think about how horrible that would be. Either explicitly, implicitly, accident, or on purpose, either way, think about what it would feel like to stand before the parent who just lost their child. What would that feel like? What type of fear would you feel before that person? And then what would it feel like if that parent just hugged you in their arms and embraced you and loved you and wanted nothing but the best for you and forgave you and looked out for your well-doing? What would that do in your heart for that person? You'd revere them above everyone else on the planet at that point. You'd be like, I don't care if whoever my most, the famous person on the planet, they don't mean anything to me right now than this person who's showering me with this meekness who has the power and every right to just haul off and put hands on me and destroy me because of of what I've done to their child. And yet they embrace me and they hold me and they love me and they take that power and they harness it into love for me and my benefit and my goodness, this is God. So yes, we fear him, but we revere him because of how good he is to us. And we, we follow him and we lay our life down for him. We go to the book of Proverbs and we say, man, I'm looking at the mirror. This is your son, Jesus. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, but I can't unless you first changed me. God, change me. Make me like your son. Ask for the wisdom. Seek it in the fear and the knowledge of God and he will give it to you. So we'll finish with a, a, few, a few things. I want to show you some things on the screen. The 
book of Proverbs, we're not going through these verses, I just want you to see. This is where the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. And then I wanna show you this in the other poetic books. The fear of the Lord comes up in Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon as well, which are all poetic books that are artistically and beautifully talking about life and its complexities from different circumstances. The book, the life is not just the book of Proverbs. Life is also the book of Job where we don't understand the sovereignty of God and why bad things happen to good people, but yet we need God to show up and help us. Or the book of Psalms where the the emotional cry of our heart also screams the fear of the Lord. Job screamed the fear of the Lord. He was taught it in his suffering. Our hearts sing it. Our songs teach it. Ecclesiastes, everything's meaningless except for one thing, to fear God and keep his commandments. That's man's all. Our nihilism has to submit to the reality that yes, all things are meaningless, but not when it comes to the fear of the Lord. Song of Solomon teaches us that our passion experiences it and the jealousy that someone feels when their loved one's taken away from them. So we fear towards wisdom. So I wanna end with this and the band will come out and we'll sing. Turn with me and we'll read together 1 Corinthians 1. Thank you for your patience. It's been a little bit longer today, but I didn't want to say to be continued if I didn't have to. 1 Corinthians chapter one. I'm not going to say anything about this. I'm just going to read it and we're going to close in prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord.